Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow, great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Welcome back to Absent Minded and the Top 25, Under 25. We're back. It's Patrick Bexel. I'm hosting uh, two outliers here when it comes to uh, the 20th player on the list, Logan Mayu. Uh, Anton Rossegord and Matt Drake are joining me, one from each corner of the world, one corner being Croatia, the other one being New Brunswick. Welcome, guys. Thank you. It's, it's a beautiful day to talk about some hockey. I can't wait. I mean, Champions Hockey League starts like in, in two days' time, and I'm going to the mm. game. I'm going to watch it. Uh, funny story. Uh, I'm not allowing any kids in my classes to have a nickname for me, which is kind of common in Sweden to do for some teachers. But uh, the only person that actually does have a nickname for me used it last Thursday, and that was Roger Runberg, who who jokingly said when I came back into the corridor outside Pronas locker room, oh, the world press is here today. This is huge <laughs> because I haven't been to Pronas for two years, more or less. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to get some more info on on uh, our favorite goalie in Frölunda, even if it might just be a backup goalie this year uh, down the line. But we're here to talk about uh, Logan Mayo, and we're not going to read all the comments uh, from from last uh, from yesterday's uh, article, are we, Anton? No, but it was quite civil, though. Uh, it was surprisingly civil. Uh, Jared. Uh was you know the one who got the most you know uh, i i think i think he was in the situation where he felt that he wanted to defend uh putting mayu at 30th because naturally with the position that um us as a side had last year the discussion automatically goes towards if we put him low it's only because the off of the ice stuff but as i put in the comments as well myself i had him at 22nd i think it's just because he has only played 12 games since he was drafted. And for a first round pick, you kind of expect more than that. Even if he's, you know, he's shown glimpses and Matt will talk about that as well because he follows the OHL much closer than I do. But you kind of want to just see the consistency, uh, to just see that it's not just, you know, flashes throughout the game or, you know, where he just puts it all together, his size, the blend of speed and size and it's shot and everything like it's there, but it's just, um, if it's only for like once or twice a game and then he combines it with doing, you know, something less smart on the ice once or twice a game as well, it's kind of, you know, it becomes kind of a wash and you kind of want to see him 19 years old, take that step now in London for the upcoming season. Indeed, and I have him at 26, so I'll, I'll, I'll just mention that I spoke with some guys that looked at him in Hockey Elsvenskan, or uh, Hockey Etan, sorry, uh, last year. It's a regional division, regional two regional divisions as well in Hockey Etan, so it's not even the top, all the top teams in one series uh, in Sweden, which might be good to know for future references. Also, Anton, there is not many... Um, players that are in the draft year playing there because either they're playing around the 20s or they play in the SHL, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's the thing. Like playing in hockey at um, you it's kind of like playing in uh I, I would 
naturally there are like older players there as well there are senior players but it's basically like playing in the minnesota minnesota high school system or something where it's just like it's so far away from the nhl level that you don't really know what to make of it yeah you can put up a lot of points there but you're also you're also playing against future dentists uh, so so what does it really mean uh, at least in the ohl those 12 games he you know he he had nine points i think and you know he he, he showed some progress and and yeah, uh, the fact that he was invited to development camp uh, during the summer as well shows that the Habs' new regime seemed to have some faith in him, uh, which will be it will be interesting to watch him if he can stay healthy during the upcoming season. I'm going to toss in a little bit of a grenade before I let Matt speak here, and I'm sorry, Matt, to keep you out of it, but but um, a little bit with a joke, but a little bit with 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 a bit of an edge to it as well. Players that are not playing in and, and get ranked in the top 25 are normally ranked very much lower by the community, except for this case. This is the only case where playing less means that you get a higher ranking. And I think it's it's a bit, little bit confusing. I, I obviously don't know enough about OHL, I know that, but 12 games and uh, a lacking... Or, or not fully developed hockey IQ yet made me put him outside of the top 25. I'm glad to put him in there next year, but those were the reasons. I said with a podcast with Anton last year that I will judge him on the hockey alone from now on, and I'm glad if he would push forward with, with other sides of ice as well, but most importantly, I would judge him. Unfortunately for me, there wasn't much to judge. Matt, however, he watched all the 12 games. He has had them on repeat the whole summer. And now he's going to tell us how wrong we are. So, uh, look, I don't want to tell anybody that they're wrong, right? I think Says that... the man you who know, ranked Romanov 22. <laughs> I, look, Romanov is not a Montreal Canadiens prospect anymore. So I, I feel vindicated in the end for that. But <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's necessarily wrong for ranking him lower because he didn't play a lot of games. I understand why people would let the smaller sample push somebody further down the list. So I respect those opinions. I respect Jared's opinion, even at 30. Uh, but I do think that he is going to be proven wrong. Uh, by Logan Mayu, because for me, I tried to eliminate, you know, I, I tried not to penalize anybody for missing games due to injury, which is really <clears throat> the the lion's share of the games that he missed were due to injury. He was suspended for the first half of the year, as we all know. Uh, but then he got a freak accident that uh, that he had a lower body injury as a result of something that happened in warmups. And then he had a nasty fall in a fight with uh, Pasquale Zito, uh, who is a Detroit Red Wings prospect. I think he played for Windsor Spitfires. Last year, a nasty fall, hurt his shoulder, had to get surgery, and that ended the year. What I ranked him on was what I saw during those 12 games. And again, there are definitely some considerations to make when it comes to his hockey IQ. Uh, but I think a lot of that has to do with lack of action, because I saw him get better on that front throughout the course of those 12 games. You know, in the early goings, he was chasing a lot of plays when he shouldn't have chased them and putting himself out of a position going for a lot of stretch passes that just didn't work out. And you saw throughout the course of those 12 games that that started to go away. So my big question going into this season is, can he maintain that? Can he continue to do less of that and allow what he does well to shine? Because what he does well, I got to tell you guys, it's, it's tantalizing. You see him go for end-to-end -end rushes. He'll start from behind his own net, embarrass everybody on the way down, spin moves. His puck handling is just beautiful. And he doesn't always score, but I'll tell you, every time that he starts to wind up behind his own net, you sit up in your seat a little bit because you know something fun's about to happen. So you think uh, he's he a goes forward? for a skate? I don't think he's a forward. <laughs> no, I, I think I think he's a defenseman. And I'm going to get to, to to why you wouldn't want to convert him to a uh, to a forward either, because his shot from the point is one of the better ones that I've seen from a junior player in a very very long time. There was a game against the Flint Firebirds where he queued up a half wrister from the point and took the goaltender's mask clean off. I have a gif of it up on my Twitter account. Shameless plug to my own Twitter and my gifs there if anybody wants to go and take a look at it. It is a half wrister from the point from maybe three feet in from the line and he takes the goaltender's mask clean off and the goaltender is bent over in pain as a result of that shot. A half wrister from distance did that when he winds up and takes uh, a one-timer his wheelhouse is huge because he's got such long arms he's got this alien frame that allows him to get a clapper on it from pretty much anywhere so you don't need to throw him a perfect pass um 
it's everything about his shot is virtually perfect. Now there, there is no such thing as perfect, but when it comes to a junior player, again, in a very long time, I haven't seen anybody who can shoot the puck that well from the point clapper wrister snapshot doesn't matter. He gets velocity. It's accurate. And if it doesn't go in, he either generates a lot of rebounds or he generates a lot of tip opportunities for his line mates uh, that are out there on the ice with him. So he's a huge threat on the power play because he can run the point from there. And even at five on five, man, that shot through traffic is very difficult to track. Goaltenders can't find it. And even if they do find it, they have an even harder time corralling it and controlling that rebound so that it doesn't pop out into the slot or end up going over their shoulder. And then it, the offensive zone possession keeps going. So that, that shooting from the point is one of the main reasons why you would never want to consider moving him to forward um this all being said right he he needs to put it together from that hockey iq perspective he needs to start being able to connect plays better and he needs to stop chasing in some of those scenarios again i saw him get better throughout the course of those 12 games but it's only 12 games so me seeing that towards the end of the 12 games could have been an anomaly right or some of those plays that he was making earlier in the year could have been the anomaly we won't know until we see a full season of action for him so i ranked him at 11 um, just outside of my top 10, which was about as high as I could go for him at this time. But I honestly think that with a really good season, everybody's going to jump him up on their list next year. Uh, and I might even have space to jump him up on my own list next year. Uh, we really just, we, we need to see a full season out of him. And I, I really think that coming into this year in the OHL, I think he's going to come in ready. I think he's going to come in hungry. And I think we're going to see, you know, uh, we're going to see him put a world of hurt on the OHL. I mean, you mentioned skating. We have another person on the list that we haven't spoken about yet with great skating, end-to-end -end rushes. Had, didn't really have a fantastic year. Good shot, good vision. Uh, also struggling in, in his own end a little bit. And, and that's Matthias Norlander. So, you know, people will obviously have taken down his rankings quite a bit because uh, of what happened in, in, in Montreal. Um, but... I mean, the, the the problem is here to for a defender to not have very good defense from the start. That is bothering me most of the time when I look at a prospect. It's it's not translatable, and and one thing is to do it, especially with size and and skill and speed, at OHL level, or or, or junior level in Sweden, you don't get that kind of of, of time that you might need. We saw it took Rasmus Dahlin, who's who's a great player in, in sort of the same type, maybe he's a lot better, obviously, in defensive zone than Norlander, but he has the same kind of action. And and it took him quite a few years to adapt into the NHL when he got over. Anton. Yeah, uh, I don't have much more to add, actually. Um, I was just sitting here listening to uh, Matt educating me about Logan Mayu, so... It's just no, no, but seriously, it's um, it's going to be fascinating. It we have to remember that this was a guy who was by no means a consensus first round pick last year. Um, he was, no. you know, even before he, the story was, broke. No, but Let's yeah, yeah, exactly. That. He was seen as someone who could potentially go in the first round, or you know, could end up as a project second rounder, or or you know, something like that. So that was part of the surprise as well when he was selected and. I remember like normally on the site we do obviously last year was special because uh the Canadians went to the Stanley Cup finals which meant that we didn't write many draft profiles whatsoever but when Jared did his consensual consensus draft rankings for 2021 Logan Mayu ended up in 79th place uh there were several outlets who didn't have him ranked even you know before uh the story broke so the fact is that when you look at his, you know, just the physical specimen that Logan Mayu is, you know, with his blend of size and power and, and speed, it's just, it could potentially turn into something pretty special here. Um, and in that case, as Matt said as well, then, you know, naturally he will move up the list. So everyone who's disappointed that Mayu is only number 20 on the list this year, it's not that he's going to stay there if he just shows what he did in those 12 games, but in a full season. If he shows like during 50, 60 games that he has, you know, a real shot at becoming an impact defender, uh, defenseman in the NHL, naturally he won't be in 20th spot. Indeed. Yeah, is, he, and is he the new uh, Bern Lernout? <laughs> 
that we always if he needs a new Brett Lerner. Okay, so now, now there's I was gonna say there's two things I want to address. Now there's three things I want to address. So let's start with the defense, right? Um, I'm I'm with you, right? I think it's very important for defensemen to be able to play defense. I think the defensive aspect or the narrative that he's bad at defense. I think it's a little bit blown out of proportion. I do think that he has IQ issues. It's more decisions with the puck that he needs to get better at. Away from the puck, he's honestly not that bad. It's not like his positioning is so bad that they're getting scored on constantly when he's on the ice. He was a plus player throughout the course of the year. They, they didn't get scored on a whole ton of times. And I, I'd i have to go back and look at the, the tape that I have on him because I do have a lot of highlights clips from the games that I watched. But I think maybe – Throughout the course of those 12 games, there was one or two goals that I charged directly to him where I was like, hey, you were out of position. This was your fault, right? Outside of that, he wasn't that bad. It's just with the puck that he makes some more questionable decisions. And I think that with more reps, you'll see less and less of that. I think if he gets a full season under his belt, you you are going to see some of that get weeded out of his game. Of course, you got to keep in mind during that lockout canceled season where he went to hockey at then. And, and played in that Swedish third division, it was that or don't play, right? So that brings me to the second thing I wanted to address, which is his draft position, right? Now, I don't want to defend the Montreal Canadiens for drafting him. He even put out a statement and said, don't draft me. I don't deserve it yet. I want to try to regain my image. I want to you know, rebuild myself, work on myself before I get drafted. And the Montreal Canadiens, you know, the brass at the time decided just to ignore that and put the kid under the spotlight anyways. Um, now, the, the ensuing result of that is still partly his fault, of course, but it's also partly the Montreal Canadiens fault. And I wouldn't have drafted him. I personally, uh, I was on record on Twitter at the time saying that I would have picked Logan Stankoven. Uh, that would have been my pick at the time. And still, even with hindsight, I still think that would have been probably a better pick for the Montreal Canadiens and probably a better pick for Logan Mayu's opportunity to, you know, work on himself and earn the right to be drafted in the NHL and maybe avoid some of the criticism that he took and maybe avoid some of the criticism that the organization took as a result of drafting him. But all of this is immaterial to my point, which is he probably would have rocketed up on some draft boards if he had the opportunity to play a full season in the OHL that year. Let's face it, how many NHL scouts are going to watch the Swedish third division? Like Anton said, if it really is like Minnesota high school, you know, are you getting robust scouting from NHL organizations at that level? No, they're watching SHL and they're watching Hockey All Svenskan right? They're watching where the draft eligible players are typically going. They're not watching that third division where Logan Mayu just landed because it was either that or play nowhere. So there is a distinct possibility. And again, this is just revisionist history at this point. So I have no idea if this actually would have happened, but if he played a full season in the OHL, he may have been higher up on draft board. Maybe he would have gone in the first round before the Montreal Canadiens picked. Maybe not. Again, all this to say there, there was a possibility, you know, if his opportunity to play in London uh, that season didn't get taken away, then maybe he would have pushed himself up higher on draft boards. And maybe we would also not see some of those same IQ issues that we're seeing now because he'd have the reps, right? He wouldn't have been bounced out to Sweden, play 19 games there, come home and then, you know, get suspended and then have to come back and then get hurt. I mean, there's a lot of what ifs there, but the, again, the overarching point being that if he played in London that year, maybe he would have put himself a little bit higher up on the list. And now the third thing, is he the new Brett Lernout? Number one, Brett Lernout can't skate like Logan Mayu, never could. Number two, he can't shoot like Logan uh, Mayu. Never I meant more like Brett Lernout. Yeah, Brett Lernout, and I don't know why people keep invoking his name. The only similarity that they have is body type. They're both bigger guys, but Brett Lernout's a bruiser, right? Or was a bruiser. That was his his whole game was hitting a lot. Logan Mayu, he doesn't hit all that much. People keep pointing out that, oh, he's a big physical guy. That's not his game. His game is not punishing physicality. He can do it, absolutely. But his game is getting that puck. You want the puck on his stick and you want him carrying it up the ice. That's his game. So when people say, oh, Logan Mayu is this physical specimen, blah, 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 what you should be looking at is the skating in the shot. Like you want the puck on his stick. You don't want the puck on other people's stick and having him chasing them around trying to hit them. Yes, he can do it. No, it's not his major focus of his game. In the comment section, they are very similar. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the comment section was, you know, let's let's face it, a little bit divided. People either, you know, like the kid or don't like the kid, and then they all have their own reasons for liking him or not liking him. I personally, I'm, I, I tried my best to, like you said, just evaluate him as a hockey player only. I'm not trying to think about what he did off the ice. What he did off the ice is, you know, d disgusting. But, but 
it had no bearing on my ranking. I looked at what he did last year. Um, I, I liked a lot of things that I saw. And I personally am going to be very excited to take a look and see w- what he can do this year. Indeed, we, we all are. And, and uh, you know, we, we always rank someone wrong in, in, when you, in hindsight. And uh, a year or two later, we'll say that for sure. I know I have done it. Like, I might have like done me it. with Romanov, right? <laughs> Uh, and and uh, I'm sure Anton has as well. And that's just basically never what, what we did with Pacetta last year. And, and never. And well, Pacetta didn't deserve anything more <laughs> last year. He deserved more this year. Uh, we're gonna go over, and, and I found this on on our Habs today when I was in there looking and and uh, looking if if anyone has a question for me uh, over there uh, in regards to top twenty five, under twenty five, and. Uh, we're going to talk about Arturi Shekonen mm. and uh, uh, or John Misak as his go his undercover name really is. But um, it's it's an interesting thing, and I wanted to bring in someone that has seen a lot of John Misak this year. Unfortunately for John Misak and for Sean McElligan from uh, from uh, McKean's Hockey, uh, the voting took place before the world juniors let's start yeah. with that <laughs> like, like like let's yeah. start with that second um sean mcgilligan didn't watch the world juniors as well he has some very interesting takes on takes on on uh, jan mishak and his future and and why he likes jan mishak so we're going to go and listen to that directly and we have a special guest here just for the last player on on this episode or actually the middle player on this episode jan mishak and i'm joined by sam mcgilligan again um or now you know that he's going to be on the pod later on but <laughs> <laughs> sam thank you for joining us hey thank you for having me for the first time again yeah for the first time again <laughs> perfect um but yeah uh jan mishak you live in hamilton you you've seen them live you've seen them on on video he has had a tremendous world juniors he's number 19 on the list after the world juniors i'm short sure People would have bumped him up probably to around 15 at least. Yep. But, but what can you tell us about Jan Mishak that we don't really know already? Uh, it's hard to say what, yeah, what you don't already know about him, especially because like when you watch him, you get a pretty good impression of the player he is, like almost like kind of right away. Like he's a two way kind of guy. Um, I think like I, I read a lot of the Habs fan discourse. I don't participate in it for obvious reasons, but like I, I, I do read it a lot because that's like I was, I was an R slash Habs member a few years ago. I was I'm a frequent reader, and I see a lot of the uh, fan base talking about his offensive upside, and he he's got a lot for the level that he's at in terms of like when it comes to doing it in the NHL, uh, not. I'm not expecting like a top six point producer. However, there is one player who the more time I keep watching Yami Shack, I keep seeing little resemblance of not exactly direct player comparable, but like just shades of if anybody is like the next Arturi Lekin in, in our system, I think it's Jan Mishak. Like Mishak is one of those. It's really hard to understand and appreciate what they're doing. Well, kind of players like the, the details are super subtle, but Mishak is really good at like the small things like, when play is switching and the other team is transitioning up the ice, he he's really good at knowing who like the timing of when the pass to the middle is going to come and getting there and blocking that lane with a stick so that the player himself doesn't even know it's like the puck carry doesn't have it as an option. He then crosses into the zone and Mishak's got the timing for when he's supposed to switch off of that player and pick him up and attack him with the stick. He's really, he's just really crafty with the stick. Like Arturi Lekkonen was like that. Arturi Lekkonen was exceptional with this, like just driving play with the stick, just little like touches at the right spot. And then he could just make the, quick right short pass to get play going the other way so all all of those like i guess the easiest way to say it is like he's one of those players who will be more effective than his points indicate and he is going to have a lot of really good like micro data like when people are throwing the j fresh report cards out there like Mm -hmm. they're like they're pokemon cards (laughs) like mishak's going to be the type of player to have like pretty good data relative to what people would expect based off his point production coaches would like him. Uh, as we were just talking about prior to it, he himself is a very like 
kid and is got the right head on his shoulders for leadership qualities on top of yep. that and humble and, as well and also putting in that extra effort i know for a fact that arthur lekkanen stayed behind in Ferland and worked on his skating and that is Mishak in a way as well yep uh, uh, Mishak is really good at identifying you can see a lot of growth in the player from what he was in 2020 and people are kind of a little concerned with his development in some ways because it, it, I think it's it just kind of comes back to like what he was drafted for he I personally had him in the first round when I look back on it, he is one of the players I would lower, but not because he himself has not done as well. It's because the 2020 draft is absolutely loaded and there's a lot of like high-end offensive guys coming through that. I kind of had a little lower. That being said, Misak's developed very well as an overall like play impactor compared to he he's not gonna he didn't get the offensive production that some of the names uh, around him drafted ahead of him and behind him did um but for the two-way presence he's developed extremely well i, I don't know what his position is long term it's probably a wing right you think yeah. wing i, I think, think wing. wing too yeah i, I mean I like think... he was a winger at world juniors now that's true. I, I, I didn't see as much. I heard his world juniors were amazing. I saw yeah. uh, him versus Sweden and I saw uh, a different game as well. Um, I didn't get to notice him too much because I was focused on the other team because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, uh, I was focused on the other team and trying to get reads on some other players who I hadn't seen in a while who I was trying to like, Oh, there, there, there they are on the ice. Like I yeah. want to follow them around, but that's kind of, and that also own in a way almost speaks to his game. I didn't even really think about that until I just said it, but like, I didn't notice him that much across two games, but I don't mean this in like a, Oh, he wasn't standing out kind of way. It's like, no, what he does well is the things that you don't notice if you're watching someone else. But if you sit in there and you're watching him in isolation, like if I went back and downloaded a ship, by shift and sat there and watched 20 minutes of just Jan Misak with me focusing mm -hmm. on him off the puck on the puck, how he reacts to the players around him and the conditions on the ice, he's, doing something productive and efficient almost all of the time. Like there's not a lot of wasted movement in his play. There's not a lot of wasted actions in his play. Like it, it's all mostly coming from something. That, the, like, the only, that the only thing purpose. I think he wastes sometimes is then he puts the puck a little bit too more, too often towards the net rather than looking for a passer uh, for a pass yeah. into the high danger area. Yep. It's I, probably I, something that will change with time and, and with coaching, but seriously, uh, Jan Mishak is 19. I think we can, even if I probably had him there as well, and I don't know your vote, if you if you even did vote, but but I mean, it's I something it, that, that we, you you definitely move him up after the World Juniors because you've seen him a little bit more and along with, with all this micro data that, that we will see in a few years because he will reach the NHL, he should be ranked higher. I'd have him at around like just speaking to prospects who aren't in the nhl if you have slavkovsky obviously number one i think it's pretty safe to have some combination of Gooley, massar hudson whatever like two yeah. three four beyond i don't think misak is much lower than like six or seven i i need the full list in front of me to like get the spot but off the top of my head it's Gooley, slavkovsky massar uh hudson then you start getting these guys that and you then don't you start entering the tier where Misak yeah. is in it. So yeah, yeah. I think you could argue him as high as five and maybe a bit lower if you've got preference to a few other guys, but yeah. like he's, he's a lot better than like, I, I see people look at Sean Farrell's production and they're just like, Oh wow, look at this. And don't get me wrong. His production is amazing. He also plays in a really weak NCAA division. There's a little context that needs to be like mm -hmm. added to those numbers. Like it's not him bruising up against Michigan every night and still doing the same thing. Like he plays for Harvard. Harvard's, good team it's still a good league and he's on a great path but i it's not such a high level path right now to the point where i'm like i don't know if i take him over me still like sure the production and the numbers aren't there the same but when you watch these two players john farrell's got like a lot of extra effort and extra mm -hmm. motor and like a lot of skill in different ways that don't really wrong. just like i love the player i love the player but me has got a lot of really projectable as is habits the only concern is it's not really a concern the only question is just like how do these habits translate when the pace gets ramped up when he goes to play pro next year in the ahl and then eventually the nhl 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mishak gets a few NHL games next year. I think he could play if injuries start, if injuries are coming in, it's not like the Habs have a ton of depth either. And sometimes like he's the type of player who I, you know what I could see the situation kind of being with me sack is like, he won't be the highest scoring player on the AHL and they'll give a call out, call up to Josh Waugh or whatever first, or actually I think Waugh's got another year in the A or in the Q um, they'll give a call up to whoever first and everyone will be like, yeah, this player should come up and then next player should be, you know, X yeah. and then it's Misak instead. And they're just like, what, why? Like, look at his scoring. He plays third line minutes. It's yeah. just like, cause, cause when you watch him, like he plays an NHL game, he plays a pros like two way game. He he's got the sense for it already. It's just about, does he have the sense for it at the right pace? And that's a really underrated thing in prospects. Like I think people like when you watch, just your team's prospects you don't get the full picture of where there's where they are relative to their development and their peers and the players and the drafted but when you watch like over 100 prospects each draft and then you ha- you get a strong benchmark and framework for where they are you start picking up on the guys like Jan Misak who are doing a lot of things right I, I hate it because it's such a stupid phrase that I hate I was so against for so long he plays the right way and I, I had someone very um, talented and very important um, mention like they they hated this phrase too, and now they they're working like in they hockey, did. and and yeah. they said um, it actually does mean something. It just doesn't mean how, like what people fans think it is. It's all about like there's non-negotiable things that players must be able to do, and they need to be able to not just do them but execute them in a way that benefits the team. And Jan Misak has got all those non-negotiables down, and he can do them fine. It's just about getting them up to pace. And then anything else he can provide on top of that is just extra value. But someone who's like really good at those non-negotiables and just getting pucks in the right spot at the right time for what the team needs – and you know he he can shoot he can pass like he 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 has offensive tools as well he's not really like he's going to be like just some two-way grinder kind of guy like he he's got some play he could be a fantastic like third option on a skilled third line and that doesn't sound like like that people hear that and they're just like i don't know that's not that enticing it's just like well a most of the prospects we like aren't going to be even that even though they they even though they technically could be more they're not likely to even be that and b it is really i think the most underrated thing is being really good as a number three dude on the line it is really hard because it's super easy to want to do more and it's more beneficial for the line not to this is why like arteri lekkanen was like the ultimate clue dude to throw on a line Look at what he did in the playoffs this year. Was yeah. he the main guy or the second guy in his line? No. Was he unbelievably and undeniably valuable? Absolutely. Look what he did for us during the run last year. Yeah, like, I mean, like, he, look, 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 the first year in Florida where he actually did play third line or, or third person because he covered the defensive aspect. Then in the second year, he was the, the, the shooter on that line. But in order Without to... Under- sacrificing the defensive play yeah. too. So. So there is that. But Mishak, fantastic. Probably should be higher. And uh, we're looking forward to rating him higher next year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you've, you've been listening to Sam McGillian. And uh, you find him at Twitter, Sam underscore McGillian. Uh, he's at McKean's. Make sure to follow McKean's draft guide as well. Thank you, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, very interesting. I know you used a little bit of it uh, while writing up the profile, Anton. So I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, Mishak is uh, Mishak is someone that you know I personally have kind of uh, I feel linked to him because you know uh, 2020 um, was the first time I you know I followed the draft for Habs Eyes on the Prize, and he was one of the first profiles I ever wrote pre-draft. And then he fell to the second round where the Canadians picked him up with the selection right after Luke Tuck, which, you know, now in hindsight, you kind of feel like, well, that pick looks better than the Luke Tuck one. Um, and then I remember writing the getting to know profile on him and, and you know, the uh, top 25 profile on him that year. And now we go full circle and write about him again. Um, it feels like when I wrote about him the first time in 2020, it was a lot about his scoring upside, his potential of being, um, you know, someone who could bring 
creativity, playmaking, and uh, scoring um, assets as a top six forward in the future. That was also after he had, uh, you know, just crushed it in Hamilton for a, a few months there pre-COVID uh, with 25 points in 22 games, just coming in out of the blue from the Czech Republic. And uh, then obviously it's been kind of difficult for him to get consistency with COVID and everything. He went back to Czech Republic, didn't really impress, went back to Hamilton. Uh, he played in Laval last year as well. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't excel but he also didn't look out of place as an you know 18 year old or whatever he was um and this season he was a point per game player in hamilton um he feels like one of those just overall solid guys who uh does a lot of things well without you know without being a standout we talked about a toolsy guy in logan miu just you know moments ago and jan mishik is kind of the opposite um he's someone who does a lot of things well without being um a standout in any way he, he just i i understand the comparison to arturi lekkonen because he's one of those guys that i could see in a few years just going into a third line at the nhl level and just improving that line with just being able to adapt and being able to take on any kind of role that you kind of need of him and he can you know be on the second power play and he can be on the penalty kill unit and he just he's a good four checker and he has some secondary scoring and everything and it's going to be really fun to see when he gets to Laval and just see what he can do there uh, I'm I'm going to be harsh on you here now but but first and foremost I have to say this is the case really what happens at ice on the price you write a draft profile and if Montreal drafts him, you, dra- you, you write the getting to know article. And then the next year you do the top 25 under 25 article. And you keep going with that kid and they become very, I mean, like they become personal favorites for you no matter what you do. Like, uh, I really like uh, Jan Mishak. We have, an, uh, we have a, an interview with him earlier this summer. Um, interestingly enough, um, right after Montreal drafted Mishak, Friends in Czechos- uh, in in Czech Republic. I was almost said Czechoslovakia because I'm working with the uh, uh, Second World War in and and uh, post Second World War in in uh, in class right now. So, uh, but but in in Czech Republic, friends of mine said he's not that creative player that people think he is. He hasn't shown it on the levels. Uh, he doesn't run a power play very well. He's not that creative, and it makes me think. A little bit like Lekkonen. You might put him on the power play if you don't have any other to play there. But I don't think he will be an NHL power play even on the second unit with regularity. Um, you see it, I, I think I pointed out in, in the discussion with uh, Sean McIlligan as well. And, and it's like, um, or Sam McIlligan, sorry, um, that uh, you often see him not being creative. It takes very smart passes it puts the puck in in no danger areas so he has to work back or 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 to create a turnover but it's very rarely he puts a really good pass into the high danger area more often than not he will put the shot on net and and see if people can work it in there when it comes to not in hamilton because i haven't watched him there and neither has my friends but when you look at it at an international level where you play against some of the better ones in your age group this is what he does. And that is the comparison I do when I look at Mishak for the future, because he's always going to, the next step is going up to AHL where you have people that hasn't gone that far. It's a pyramid. And, and if you reach the NHL, you're at the top, obviously. Uh, Mishak will reach the NHL. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you mentioned at the start of the, the Meshack segment here. If if we ranked after the World Juniors, I think everybody was jumping him a little bit, right? I, I, I like I ranked him at 21. And I'll explain first like why I ranked him at 21, right? I did get the chance to watch a lot of Hamilton Bulldogs games this year. Um, one of the things that impressed me the most was his versatility. Like Anton said, you know, he's, he's very good defensively. He can definitely fill out a third line role uh, and looks like he projects very well to a third line role in the NHL as well. But he can also play up and down in your lineup, kind of similar to Arturi Lekkonen, who I, I love that new moniker, Arturi Chekkonen. Um, I'm definitely going to steal that and use it more and more. 
um, when I'm talking about Jan Mishak. But my point here, when they had the opportunity to bump him up in their lineup in Hamilton, they did. And it was right after they traded for Mason McTavish. And they put Jan Mishak on a line with Mason McTavish for about five, six games maybe. And Mishak went on a tear. That was his best scoring performance of the season was during those four, five, six games where he was playing with Mason McTavish. So he's very capable of playing up and down in your lineup. My concern was, you know, his ability to drive play uh, and generate offense on his own without elite players being uh, on, on a line with him. Now, obviously, I, I, I ranked that and put him at 21 before I saw the World Juniors. And having seen him now put up those eight points through seven games in the World Juniors, I mean, I looked at it and I was like, man, he can definitely drive play. And he did it on a world stage here. And he didn't do it with the same type of players like they gave him in Hamilton. So I think there's more offensive potential to be unlocked. If I could revisit my rankings, um, again, when I talk about the the top 25 under 25 for me, anybody 25 and down, they could jump 10 spots on any given day. I look at, at Jan Mishak and I think, honestly, if I could have ranked him after those world juniors, I might've pushed him up closer, if not into my top 15, uh, because I was really impressed with what he did there. And he showed me a lot more driving of the play than I thought was possible from him. And doing that on the world stage, you know, even as one of the older players in the tournament is still something that you have to give some consideration to. So you know, I, I agree with what you said as well, Pat. I, I see him absolutely playing in the NHL one day. I don't know how high he can get in a lineup. I don't know what his highest point aspiration would be. But I like, um, you know, the projectable tools that he has in terms of playing defensively, uh, in terms of being able to shut down the opposition. And I'm, I'm growing more and more to believe that he's got more offensive upside than maybe I thought he did. I think uh, the, the discussion that and, and even Trevor Timmons said that a year ago, I think, that they see Mishak more and more as a winger. And you saw that in the in the World Juniors as well, where he didn't have to drive play in the same way as a centerman. Uh, and I think that benefits him. It unlocks a little bit of insecurity in him. And and he's a very capable young man. And and uh, I mean, and, and one thing that we haven't brought up in, in the same way is also he's been captaining the 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 Czech team for three world juniors, three or four world juniors. Yeah. That's that's an amazing feat in itself. But it also speaks to his character. It also speaks to, you know, the leadership qualities that you want to have on the team. Because he will make other players better around him by sacrificing a little bit of his own. And and I think that is if you do that, you will definitely become an NHL player. Yeah, I, again, I think kind of hit the nail on the head there with he's he's probably out of everybody on the list. He's probably the surest bet to play in the NHL. No, the only thing that, that that would be Gooley or, or like so who hasn't played well, in the NHL yet. Yeah, it's going to be I, I mean, Slavkovsky. <laughs> I, I should have said so far. Right. Yeah. So far of everybody on the list, he's the surest bet to make it there at some point. And like, let's be honest, they're. they're there's a possibility that he gets games with the Montreal Canadiens this season. We don't know who the first call-ups are going to be. We know he's probably starting with Laval, but there, there's a non-zero chance that he plays games in a Montreal Canadian sweater this season. It'll depend on, you know, who, if, are they going to be making trades early on in the year? Are they going to be making trades at the deadline? Uh, who performs well in Laval? I mean, if he goes out uh, and he's a good showing in Laval, he could be one of the first people that they call when they need a body. Right. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree with that, Matt. And I think it's it's uh, very very um, possible, especially post deadline, that he is uh, getting mm. games in the NHL. So, uh, but they're, they're going to want him back in Laval for sure for the playoff run because Montreal, yeah. let's face it, probably not going to the playoffs. They at the very least need to make sure they paper that guy back down to the Rocket for the playoff run because the Rocket will get a playoff run and they have a chance at potentially going deep. Uh, a guy like Meshach can help you a lot with that. You know, he's got big game experience, like you said, captaining the checks at three different world juniors, uh, being a part of a Hamilton Bulldogs team that went all the way to the Memorial Cup final. I mean, he's a guy that you want around, especially with his versatility for for a playoff run in, in Laval. So I wouldn't keep him there too long at the end of the year, but uh, but I could see it too. Indeed. Um, looking at the next entry to uh, the... Uh top 25 under 25 and the last person we're going to talk about today and that's jason struble falling down five spots from last year uh where he was number 11 
And uh, it's it's interesting to see partly that he falls, but also um, <laughs> there is a bit of discrepancy in the rankings here. Almost as wide <laughs> as Mayu. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's eight all the way to 36. Um, look, I think that the main thing that's pushing him down on some people's rankings is we didn't see progression in terms of his offense, right? We did, however, see some progression in terms of his defensive abilities. I mean, obviously, his point production was not at the same rate that it was the previous year in the NCAA. Um, he went down significantly in terms of points per game. That's concerning for a lot of people. Um, in today's NHL, you're looking for your defenseman to at least be able to generate some offense. I still personally had him at 17. So I fall, you know, kind of in the middle of the, the overall range between eight and 36 that he ended up falling. Um, I, I liked the fact that he took a step forward defensively. So I still kept him uh, up on my list, but I had him higher last year. So, I, I mean, I, what I'd like to see from him, if I'm going to bump him up next year and put him any higher than I did this time, is I'd like to see him maintain that defensive uh, progression, but I'd like to see him add more offense. I'd like to see him back up at least at where he was previously in terms of points per game and maybe even higher. Um, I, I think that's the big problem here with ranking him is that number one, he's tough to get a read on. And number two, you saw the points go down. So as a result, what, what do you do? Especially in this group of prospects, man, it's everybody has their own opinion, but there's a lot of really solid names in the Montreal Canadian system right now. And the result is sometimes you just, you, people get pushed down as a result of not performing necessarily from an offensive standpoint. I like him a lot. Uh, I, I think he has that, you know, defensive first player that, that you're going to need on the Montreal Canadiens in a few years. Because right now we don't really have that. We have, you know, Kenny Gooley is one of them, probably Baron isn't. Um, Harris isn't either uh, to that same degree. Uh, we don't know what Lane Hudson will be either. We don't know Matthias Norlinder, obviously, what, how he's going to pan out. Uh, Shekai. Many of them are offensive drivers. And and obviously Mayu as well, as you mentioned. Uh, but... But I, I'm wondering a little bit, like, is this the defensive cornerstone that Montreal has? And that's what I see in him. And that's why I have him high. I'm obviously highest. Uh, and I was shocked by that. And and uh, I'm re relatively happy that at least I'm close to Hardy. Because I'm trusting Hardy a little bit in this regard. He watches him every week. I read his reports. He was impressed with him. I probably have him a wee bit too high. But with Hardy having him at 11, I'm kind of happy that I wasn't too far off as well. Well, being close to Hardy's ranking is usually uh, a good thing. Not always. Usually, I would say, I would argue, and I would argue this very ferociously, that, you know, exactly my ranking, if you can rank everybody exactly where I rank them, then <laughs> that's the best thing to do because I, I am never wrong. Uh, I think Anton got the, 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 the ones, yes, even yesterday as well, a shout out for having the best ranking. Oh, well, you know, it, it was just my burner account who wrote that. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I was thinking He's a big of... fan of goalies. Uh, I yeah. am, I am, especially, uh, well, I mean, we, we have a few good goalies in the system now, uh, according to me, Matt's obviously thinks different, but that's fine, uh, we can't all be right, so uh, someone has to be wrong, and this time it's Matt. And, and, um, and I was just thinking, we teach each other relentlessly on pods and in chats, so don't worry, we'll, we'll we, we keep each other on our toes. No, I was thinking about um, all these three players, Jaden Struble, Jan Mishak, and Logan Mayu. Mayu uh, made his debut last year at number 15. Now he's number 20. Jan Mishak fell down seven spots from number 12 last year to number 19 this year. Jaden Struble, same thing. He fell from 11 to 18, seven spots down. It just tells you a lot about like the influx of, of talent coming into the organization, right? Through draft and through trades um and when it comes to Jaden struble you just kind of want to see him do more he's been three seasons now in the north at northeastern he still has not really you know progressed uh, with jordan harris you could see like a linear progression in an easier way um Jaden struble is still very toolsy i feel like um he's kind of you know going back to my you you know that 
once he puts it all together, there could be something special there, but it just feels now that I don't see that, you know, top four, you know, like that surefire top four potential in Jaden Struble. Um, I believe more in Jordan Harris, for example, uh, because those mm. two will always go kind of hand in yeah. hand, having played at the same university. Um, I think Jordan Harris is, a, we're not going to talk about him now, but I just think he's a more, a player you know what you're getting from, uh, someone who can fill into the top four and and this is going to be a surefire, you know, bottom two defenseman and do that really well, I think. Um, yeah, the... Sorry, I don't want to cut you off. No, no, it's fine. it's fine. Comparison is a great one because you bring up you you bring up Harris and his linear development. Like you said, you saw it with Harris playing at the same school. Yeah. You're not seeing it with Struble, so it's not a knock on Struble. Again, as you mentioned, him dropping is more a byproduct of the additions to the prospect pool than it is of his play. But that linear progression isn't there, so it's tough to justify putting him over any of those other names when you do have those that that linear progression in them, right? Yeah, and and it's been like, uh, I mean, Jaden Struble was drafted in 2019, right? So it's been three years now. Um, and I mean, he was drafted out of high school, right? So it was, it, it was all kind of, it was all, uh, what can I say? Like, it was all uh, projection with him at that point. And then once he got into the NCAA, you kind of like, you just wanted him to uh, make the same kind of uh, impact that we've seen guys like Sean Farrell and, and you know, Jordan Harris, as we mentioned, or even, you know, someone like Brett Stapley, just, you know, showing that you're leading your team um, and that you for sure will have, you know, a future that's beyond the NCAA and you're just too good for too good for the team at this point. And now it's going into his senior season, right? And uh, He's obviously like I I have no hesitation that he's going to be signed to an entry level deal, but I'm not so sure anymore that he's going to develop into something more than just a fringe fringe NHL at this point. And there you have it. We've spoken for quite some time, and we had a special guest, and as you heard, he will be on later on to speak even more about some of the Canadian prospects on this ranking. Um, Sam McGilligan, you find him at McKean's, you find him on Twitter, uh, Sam underscore McGilligan. Uh, we'll link him in the podcast as well, obviously. Um, thank you both for joining me. Thank you for enlightening me about where I'm wrong, because that's usually how it goes here. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to more. The next episode will be out on uh, Friday, and hopefully we'll have some more extra information We'll just finish with the big news of today, and that is that number 43 on the list, and it's now number one in our hearts because Brett safely has signed with the little rocket Laval. All about the rocket, depending on how we see it. Thank you guys for listening.